Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of L2M Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. We're here today with Lindsay Peterson, who is a brand strategist and leadership coach who views brand as a blend of science, intuition, behavioral economics, and ancient storytelling. She's the author of a brand-new book called Forging an Ironclad Brand, and she's developed the Ironclad Method while building brands with companies such as Starbucks, Clorox, Zulily, T-Mobile, IMDb, and a number of burgeoning startups. She lives in Seattle, and she's here with us today. Welcome, Linda. So good to be here with you. Thank you so much, Linda. Okay. So I want to talk about um, what you think a brand is, and then I want to find out what does it mean to be an ironclad brand. So tell us first how you define a brand and then um, what it means to make that brand ironclad. Awesome. I would love that. Yes, because the brand, the word brand is so um, widely interpreted. And so I think it, it it really is beneficial to start the conversation with what do we even mean by brand, right? What I mean by brand is what your business stands for in the mind of your audience, the thing that you own in the mind of your customer. That's your brand. So it's what your business stands for. Um, and you have a brand whether you are consciously creating it or passively creating it, whether the market is creating it for you. But I put out there that by being forward-leaning in putting that stake in the ground yourself, you're going to wind up with a more favorable brand that you like better than if the market created it for you. Okay. So tell us a little bit about what it means to It's interesting how you're combining science and intuition and economics, which are all kind of, you know, um, very, very concrete things. And then you talk about ancient storytelling. So how do you combine those Mm -hmm. together? Yeah. And I I had this observation that um, on one hand, brand, and, and, and the reason that I think that brand strategy is so beneficial for companies, brand creates value economic value. It elevates a company's pricing power. It creates a competitive moat. It fosters loyalty, which brings down your cost of bringing in new customers. So it has huge economic value. And yet a lot of leaders, especially left-brained leaders, and I'm left-brained, so I relate to this, feel like it's squishy. They feel like brand is this kind of um, squishy, creative, shrouded in mystique thing. And there certainly is, a because brand is a relationship between a business and a customer, it's multidimensional. It has a logical component, and it certainly has an emotional com- component. And my my hope with writing this book was to sort of level it to share. It's actually both. It's all of these things. It is creative. But it also is very logical and brings very rational value creation to a business. So we've got the logical and we have the squishy together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's we have the kind of the intersection of 
of the right brain and the left brain or the intersection of functional and emotional and the intersection of something that's really concrete with something that's really transcendent, just like any relationship, right? Any relationship has a lot of aspects to it, some of which are really um, quite functional and some of which are really quite transcendent. So that's all of those things are true. And to only um, focus on one of those facets is to miss the power of um, that that whole, just like with any relationship, if you think of a relationship as just being functional, it's not going to have as much value to you if you think of it in its entirety. Got it. So you have, there's a number of qualities that we know that make a brand compelling. What I'm curious about is we've had such a change in the way we we approach people, we do marketing, we have all these tools and technologies and ways to reach people. What do you think that makes a brand compelling that's different than it may have been a generation ago or even a few years ago? Mm. How, how has mm. brand evolved? Yes, I love this. And in some ways, I have there's sort of a paradox here because in some ways, I think that although that there is so much that has changed, media has changed. And um, channels have been democratized and changed, but we are still human beings, and we humans have been around for a lot longer than the internet. So, in some ways, a ton has changed, and in some ways, what we miss is that we're still humans, and we still have scarce cognitive resources. We still value relationships. We still have needs. So. So I think both of those are true. There's something that's and, – and that's why I, I talk about kind of the ancientness of storytelling. We, whether it's today via a social media post or whether it's sitting around a campfire telling stories, we're drawn to storytelling, and that actually hasn't changed. It's just the medium that's changed. Um, you know, it's interesting that you say that because in my book, Marketing Above the Noise, I said the same thing, Very, you know, not just about brand but about marketing in general. We used to come to, um, you know, to a, a, a kind of a market where, you know, someone would bring milk or eggs or, or wheat or whatever and someone else would buy and there was all this interaction going on. And the difference is today we do that in a much different format. We maybe do it over the Internet or we do it in a store or whatever, but we're still doing the same thing. And that storytelling is is still a, a key part of what makes a brand compelling as well. Yes, it's it's how it's 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 how we humans are wired. We we love stories. It's it's actually um, it's it's actually part of our competitive advantage as a species that we tell stories and are drawn to stories. So it's that hasn't changed, and you know. Now we're talking about social media, but maybe in a decade or two, it'll be something else, another platform um, beyond the, you know, the village market or right. Instagram. It'll be something else, but it'll still be storytelling. Um, what I do think has sh- shifted over, and, and I think this is particularly true in the last 20 or 30 years, um, and maybe especially in the last five or 10 years, is that the sheer volume of messages that we consumers receive has gotten so large that to compete for the attention of your audience has become harder. So 
it used to be that there were three, when I was growing up, there was ABC, NBC, and CBS. There were three right. TV channels. But and then you got PBS, was, but they yeah. didn't have ads. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's true. There was yep. PBS, but they didn't, they didn't have ads. So we had basic, we had a few channels. And then, I don't know, when I was a teenager, we had cable. So then we had like 60 channels. And then, right, you know, this that actually that seems so quaint right now because, first of all, there's hundreds or thousands of channels that I alone could access on TV, and second of all, that's not even the main medium anymore. So right. the amount of stimuli coming at us as human beings with the same mental equipment that we had a hundred and a thousand years ago, and a million, or and you know, twenty thousand years ago. Um, we have way more stimuli that we could possibly process. And so I wager that the way that brand has changed now is that the importance of singularity and clarity to command the attention of an audience that is more and more scarce on attention has become absolutely crucial. So, mm-hmm. Before, and especially if you had a lot of money, you could, you know, in a 30-second TV spot, you could say a lot of things, and you had a captive audience. You had, you you bought their attention, and you could say a lot of things in 30 seconds. But now we have, you know, 0.3 seconds with an audience. So the onus to get to a crystallized, hyper-focused idea, brand promise, is now much, much heavier. And it, it always was hard for companies that didn't have the media budget to do a 30-second spot. They always had to be really focused. Um, as, a, as a matter of course, they had right. to get it to a really crystal clear idea because they didn't have the date pockets to not be disciplined about focus. So what do you think people are getting wrong today? Because you're right, you need to be disciplined. So we just, and again, I in marketing above the noise, I talk about how much noise there is. So, uh, you know, we can't just add to the noise. We have to put through something that's going to be different and cut through it. But what are people doing wrong that they really should be thinking differently about, in your opinion? Mm, yes. Two levels for this. The first thing that I think people get wrong, leaders in particular get wrong, is they don't force themselves to focus at all. Mm. So they don't, they, they hedge. They, they allow themselves to, they, they kind of the, the illusion of I can be all things to all people. They kind of know intellectually that that's not right, that that never has been possible to be all things to all people and to do it well. Right. Um, but they still don't put a stake in the ground. So I think the 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 most um, the the biggest mistake that I see is just not doing it at all, not forcing uh, a single-minded idea that you're going to make your business about. Um, and and there, there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, it's it's scary to focus. It's essentially when you're when you're choosing a positioning, you're you're, especially if you're being disciplined and you're choosing one, inherently you're choosing an infinite number of possible positionings and taking them off the table. So when you say yes 
to one thing, you're saying no to hundreds of other things. Mm-hmm. And that's scary. So I, I understand that. Um, and yet, at the same time, if you don't choose, then you wind up being, you know, at best liked by a lot of people, but not loved by anyone, not loved by the people who really matter. Um, so that's the first one, and probably the, the the one that's probably the hardest the hardest nut to crack is to sort of cultivate in yourself as a leader um, that courage to mm-hmm. to put a stake in the ground and the kind of the humility to recognize that you can't be all things to all people. Right. That, that's the first thing, and then the second, you know, once once a leader or a team is engaged in, okay, we're going to define our brand. We're going to get to the single-minded idea. Um, it's, it's again, that hedging that, okay, we're going to choose something safe. And we're, so we're going to choose this, what I see really commonly is we're going to choose to lean into a category benefit. So, um, so if we're a pancake brand, we're going to be the, the most delicious pancake brand. <laughs> um, or if we're, you know, we're a um, we're a restaurant, we're going to be have served the most delicious food. And the problem is that if, if you're a pancake brand, you have to be delicious. That's table stakes. Right. That's actually not a differentiated positioning. And yet, that is the second most. Um, common error that I see is that, okay, we're, we're going to do this brand positioning. We're going to choose something, but then we choose something that isn't even distinctive to us, which is okay if you own the whole category, but if you don't own the whole category, then you are, when you, when you say we're the most delicious pancake, you're essentially creating desire for more pancakes, but not necessarily your brand of pancake. And I absolutely, I think that's absolutely true, but if I was about to to launch Linda's wonderful pancakes, what would you suggest that I do rather than say my pancakes are better than Lindsay's pancakes? <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. So the the method I use for this, I call this framework the uncommon denominator framework. Okay. And if you picture a Venn diagram, so you've got three circles in this Venn diagram. One is for customer desires. What does your pancake customer want? What, what mm-hmm. do they care about? might be things that they want implicitly, might be things that they want explicitly. So that's one circle. And you inventory everything you know about this. And then you have, in in the second circle, you inventory your competitor's strengths. So all of the things that the other pancake brands are good at bringing. And in the third circle, you inventory everything that you're good at. So in the very middle of the Venn diagram, the overlap of those three circles that's going to be your common denominator. That's your category benefit. So right. customers want pancakes that are delicious. Competitors bring delicious pancakes, and you bring delicious pancakes. Great. There's your category benefit. That's a good start, but it's not all there is. What I'm really interested in is right above that middle there where you've got the overlap of what customers want, what your company is good at, and what your competitors are not good at. Ah, interesting. What's the overlap of what your customers want that you're good at that that competitors can't match? And that is, um, that's an exercise, right? So you actually need to go through your 
get really introspective about what you bring and notice the the distinction between what lies in your circle and what lies in your competitor circle. So for pancakes, um, maybe it's that we source ingredients from um, an organic farmer, or Mm -hmm. maybe it's that everything we make is gluten-free, or um, maybe it is something about the texture of our pancakes, or there's, you know, there's, there's lots of things here. And by the way, if you can't find anything, then you don't really have a sustainable business. So you have I was to about to say that because then you're just a me too. Yeah. And everybody else yeah. is. And me yeah. too's are a race to the bottom on price. So yep. this is why we care about brand is we don't want a race to the bottom on price. And if it's not a differentiated brand promise, it eventually will become that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me and, and everything that I've known about brands through the years as well. Can you tell us just, because um, this is fascinating, but if I had a very small budget, what should I be doing yeah. to get started on my brand? Because obviously I should be yeah. doing things, looking at the characteristics, but how? once I've identified that, how do I go out and start building a brand and, and doing this without a huge budget? Building a brand strategy or activating your, your activating brand strategy it. or both? Yeah. No, I'd say, you know, I once mean, we've gone through this exercise, we know what the uncommon denominator is. How do I get that out to my customers if I don't have a lot of money to go do this? Well, you, we're living in a time when media is essentially free, or it's the mm-hmm. it's it's the cost of your time. So it's not not actually free, but it's free in in today's dollars. And um, if you have if you have gotten very, very pinpointed on who your target customer is, what this person is like, where they hang out, um, you just talk to those customers and favor quality of match over quantity. So um, talk to just the people for whom your brand promise is incredibly relevant and motivating. And just be really, really focused on them and be really, really single-minded about the thing that you're that you, that you're telling them, so that it's easy for them to attend to you. Don't cost them a lot of cognitive energy to pay attention to you. So that comes from having a lot of conviction in who your target customer is, and a lot of precision around what your what your brand promise is. Once you have that, you you hang out where they are. So if if your target customer is um, on Instagram, you might be spending a lot of your media time on Instagram. Mm-hmm. If your target customer is 65 years old, you might be doing billboards near where they go for walks. Um, uh, so pay attention to where they consume media but pay a lot of attention to what you're saying and make it really, really easy for them. I love it. Make it easy. And I think too often we make it easy for ourselves. We don't think in terms of the customer. This is what I like. This is what I think is great about our product. These are the features and the benefits I like. Not really translate into what the customer is looking for. And so I, I think you're absolutely right with that. We've been talking here with Lindsay Peterson. She's a brand strategist and the author of the brand-new book, Forging an Ironclad Brand. So, Lindsay, if there was one thing that um, that I could do 
to really get going and forging an ironclad, an ironclad brand, what was the thing that you tell me to do as a marketer, and, and where should I start? Yes. I would start by listening to your customers and making that a systematic part of your business, to talking to them in a formal way, talking to them in an informal way, and not seeking a confirmation of a hypothesis or an idea you already have, but to going to it with huge humility and curiosity about what it's like to be this person facing the problem that your offering solves and cultivating in yourself huge empathy for this person. It does not have to be expensive to do that and doesn't even have to take a lot of time. Um, but when you're channeling this person with everything you do, you first of all, you're building a much more meaningful business. You're building something that is actually serving serving people as human beings. Um, uh, secondly, it makes you a much more efficient leader because this person is the reason that your business exists. So if you can channel them as you're making these decisions, big decisions, small decisions, you're going to be a much more effective and probably happy leader. That's great. That's where we want to be. Lindsay, if people wanted to find out more about you and your book, where would they go? Yes. And thank you so much for this conversation, Linda. I've loved talking to you. People can find me on my website, ironcladbrandstrategy.com, and I have a book page on that website that they can look at. Um, I also have a newsletter that I send out every month where I discuss provocative topics in brand, um, and you can subscribe to that newsletter on my website. And my book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, um, Forging an Ironclad Brand. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Again, we've been here with Lindsay Thank Peterson. You. Her book is brand new, and the book is Forging an Ironclad Brand. So thank you, Lindsay, for being here with us. Thank you, Linda. This is Linda Popke. Until next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership brought to you by L2M Associates. If you'd like to find out how you can improve the return on your investment in marketing programs, processes, or people, contact us at www.l2massociates.com.